Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pat Sandwich's Shet Sex Shop, where the cacophony of auditory ecstasy comes complete with chips. I'm your host, Pat Sandwich, joined by Vadis. Hello everyone, how are we doing today? So we're broadcasting you here on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts on this fine Tuesday evening. I'm joined by DJ Hypotect, an obscure network of house, indie, and ambient music manifested into an international subversive superstar. Good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Pat. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Better now that you're here. Now, as I understand it, we're going to be listening to your new extended play today. That is uh, Can correct. you give me a little bit of a taste as to what we're biting into here? Yeah, let's see. What are my talking points for this? Well, it's it's transgressive and transcendent. It's it's not transsexual, but it, it is transmitted. Um, Viral, I'm assuming? I think that's, you know, that's the thing that people say. You know, people call my music viral. People call my music a virus. People call me a virus, personally, as like a, an, an affront. Um, but yeah, do you want me to like talk about like the EP at all? Or do you want me to like... I mean, give me a little bit of a background of just you really quick. And then we can sort of, just for my viewers, and then we're going to kind of get into this EP and get to the interesting stuff. Okay, well, I think the most notable thing about my background is my is that my butt is very is very plump, a very very well shaped ass. As many oh yeah, it is pretty juicy. Um, so that's the main thing about my background in my personal life. You know, I'm 27 year old architectural designer slash producer from uh, Tampa, Florida, currently residing in Rochester, New York. And um, what a time to do it, huh? COVID, COVID joke. And how has this architectural background of yours played into the kind of musicality that you have currently? Well, I think about it like this, Pat, and I think Vadis will back me up on this. I think I'm very into sort of thinking about architecture the same way I do about music, about how you can take sort of the form of something, like the form of dance music, and how you can turn it into something foreign but still familiar, something unexpected but desired. And I think that that's both at the core of making great music and at the core of making great architecture and at the core of me in a way. So sort of alchemy, so to speak. Uh, some sort of musical alchemy. Well, fantastic. Um, Vadis, do you have anything else to sort of explore before we get into this EP? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I would definitely say I would 100% agree with Hypa in the, in the musical alchemy analogy. Um, a little bit, yeah, let me maybe talk, let me get all my talking points in so that, you know, my label is, lets me keep making music for this. Um, so it started out with the goal of doing a, like, strictly progressive house EP, and then I got bored, so there's only two progressive house songs, there's two bass-driven songs, there's a little ambient interlude, and then just, I would call the last song just a celebration, ultimately. And, you know, the title is Summertime, as you both know, probably. And as everyone knows across the globe, um, and it deals with the issues of recording over a summer where because of the sort of shifting flow of time and the way we perceive it because of COVID, um, you know, we perceive time differently. And I think that this in some way deals with the way we perceive time. There's no wasted seconds which I think is maybe antithetical to the way like live dance music is performed where you want to have, you know, like lead-ins and, you know, extended drops and things like that. But here, because 
the music is emerging in the context of COVID, there's like not a wasted second on the EP. It's all just to the point. Hmm. Now, are you, are you trying to achieve a timelessness with this music, or are you trying to keep it kind of fleeting in the moment? It is, it is for this time, and a time, the seconds aren't wasted. It's not meant to. It's not meant well, to last. I think what's really important when you make any work of art, whether it be music, architecture, or you know, food, or you know, abstract pornography, it's that it it is of its time, but it yearns for timelessness. And I think that mm-hmm. this does that quite well. Anyway, here's the first song, so we can all give it a, give the first song a listen, maybe. Yeah, give give let's give it a listen.
So tell me, your inspiration for the song, was it having sex in a Middle Eastern hotel? That's the kind of vibe I'm getting off of it. Well, for this for this song, it was it was my second favorite song off the EP. It was based on the song uh, Cat Thruster by Dead Mouse. Do you know that song? Um, I haven't listened to it recently, so I couldn't I couldn't really explain it to you now. Just this song was a bit of a like a conscious desire to subvert that song structure. And I think it was like maybe like the most challenging song on the EP in some ways for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely has a creative depth to it, sir. What would you say was the the biggest challenge in the production of that? Um, so if you notice, like in the second um, the second drop, like the that big drop at the end, um, mm-hmm. getting those like super saws to just sound like as huge as they do, like as just like oppressively big as they do, I think was the biggest challenge I faced on this song. What do you think of that, Battis? I definitely liked it. Um, it's got a big sound to it. It's well balanced. That was one thing I noticed. It has this kind of perpetual thumping that gives me like energy. You know, it's it's like it's like drinking energy in my ears. I don't know how else to describe it. Right, that makes sense. That's I think that was sort of maybe part of the vibe I was definitely going for. It's like it's not even. Um, it's not pre-gaming or the show isn't coming down. It's like I'm in the moment, you know? We're kind of, we're moving through these Bawadi sunsets. Right. Well, I think it's like kind of cliche to begin an album with, like, you know, a big, you know, cinematic bullshitty intro, which everyone who knows my work knows I could easily do and probably better than anyone else on the planet. Um, but I just, I didn't want to do that. I, it's an EP. It's, you know, it's short. It's like 18 minutes long or something. I wanted it to be immediate. I wanted to like be in your face like skip the foreplay like mm-hmm. it's cons- it's consensual but your head is immediately around my waist area i mean i'm in the space i'm ready are you ready oh i'm ready what are you ready for the sandwich sandwich um something i also else i think was interesting about this is i rec- i wrote the uh bass line for the song on a bass guitar which is a real instrument that some people play (laughs) did you actually record it or was it just written on the on the bass guitar it was written on the bass guitar and then i got lazy and i recorded it through a contact library just midied it out it's it's a great sounding bass i I noticed that right i was the first note i made i was like that's a solid bass line it it catches you and, and you're invested in the song right off the bat yeah, well, that's just you know that's that's the that's you know what's important about playing something actual on you know an actual bass. Um, I'll say maybe the turnaround for it, um, that da 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 that da 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 thing is maybe something I do a lot more than I'm proud of. It's a bit of a cliche in my writing, but other than that, you know. Well, it wasn't jarring. It wasn't jarring throughout the song. I didn't. I didn't get the sense that I was aware of time passing. Right. Well, that's the sort of, you know, that's the distortion of time that I'm really going for. Mm-hmm. It keeps me engaged. I appreciate that. Are you engaged? I feel engaged. So yeah. I, I knew you had played guitar. I didn't know you also played bass. I mean, I know they're kind of similar, but I didn't know you were multi-instrumental. Yeah, I'm mental and multi-instrumental. Um, I played bass in a series of ill-fated um, metal bands when I was in the high school. And um, 
I've always been a lover of the four strings as well as the six strings. Fun fact for today. Hypotech plays multiple instruments. Those are the two I play. Do you not consider your voice an instrument? Well, if if I considered my voice an instrument, I would consider myself still in the um, hot cross buns stage of using <laughs> it like one. I I can respect that. It's full yeah. honesty right there. I'm I'm working on it. You know, I think for the next release, I want to do something a bit different. You know. And maybe I sing on that. Maybe I play bass on that. You know, maybe I play guitar on it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's like just a full on rock opera. Maybe it's a candelabra. But, you know, I think that is a direction I've looked at in terms of just, you know, the directions that one can take after a release like this mm-hmm. one, where it was just all MIDI. I didn't even play hardly any of the notes on a key- on a keyboard because this was written as part of this sort of six week challenge. There was such a demand to record as quickly as possible and a lot of the tightness of and stiffness of the grooves i think come from having no time to work on them the songs but still wanting to produce something of quality now i'd heard some of your songs previously um not this not enough from this new ep but i've, I've heard some songs previously where you did use your voice and i think that when you did play to your strengths it had a really clean honest sound um and uh, and I think that really works for you because I think that when you're pushing boundaries musically, it comes across um, like discovery. But then sometimes when you're doing something with your voice that sounds out of your range of you know what is possible, like I, I can't sing operatic. That's just never going to happen for me. So, well, but I, I think that Pat, when you Pat. when you say what, Pat, you built one of the largest podcast empires in the world from nothing. Yes, but I'm not an uh, I'm not operatic. You know, I have a nice mellow sounding voice, but it's not it's never going to hit, you know, the high octaves. It's just not going to happen for me. But but what I will say is that if I did start music, it would be using this voice to sort of add that icing on top. Let right. the musicality speak for it. Well, I'm just saying I, it's like you're you're like the Garth Brooks of podcasting, you know? Well, I appreciate I appreciate the compliment. Vettis, did you previously listen to this podcast before agreeing to co-host for him? Uh, I did not get the chance to do that, unfortunately. You just you just co-host for anybody. I mean, pass me around, you know. A perpetual podcastatois in the zone, in as the Pat zone. would put it. Um, Another thing I noticed on that was the uh, you use different synths to change the timber with the same melody. I liked that little touch. That was very nice. Yes, I stole that from Deadmau5. Um, in the original track, he does that repeatedly just between sections, and he just bounces through two sections repeatedly to finish the song and to make money. Um, and I didn't do it as much because I thought he did it too much. So it was sort of my way of you know, embellishing on my forefathers, so to speak. I must say it was quite well done. Thank you. You give me hope for where music's going. Makes me makes me feel more adventurous. Well, that's what I hope with everything I do in my life. I can make people feel more adventurous, and I can make people feel like something exciting is just just out of their comfort zone. Like, not too far out, but like just outside. If they just, you know, reach a little bit. 
into the hole, so to speak. Mm -hmm. What's your What's your opinion before we dive into another another song? What's your opinion about um, appropriation in the industry? It, if it's um, you know, where discovery might end up being um, ownership or claiming of you know uniqueness, is it is it is it always is discovery always um, something that's you know out there to be possible, or we have we already discovered everything and we're just constantly trying to trying to kind of rediscover what what do you how do you feel about um the role of appropriation as far as um what it could do to limit you know i'm glad glad you asked because i've been reading a book by david byrne and about the very subject and he said about you know we've kind of always had 12 notes and there's pretty much always just the same amount of creativity there's no like creativity doesn't improve right so in some ways through the process of discovery and not through the process of appropriation and not through the Daft Punk album discovery, we're sort of always just recontextualizing something to meet a modern context, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm, you know, writing something on a bass guitar and then I'm turning it into a dance song in some way, I'm, you know, recontextualizing something that could have been, you know, a rock song, you know, in making it into something that has, you know, more relevance to a contemporary context. And so I think creativity is often just a matter of recontextualization in some way. I like that. Whereas I think Discovery is a kind of overly repetitive and slightly overrated Daft Punk album. And I think appropriation is something I kind of deal with a lot in my work. And that I like, I try not to steal from artists who have different cultural sensibilities to myself in a way that I would not be able to fully appreciate. You know, like you'll never find me like making like a trap song, for example, just because it's like a popular trendy thing to do. I think if you don't have the right cultural context for that, it's a kind of fucked up thing to be like a cultural culture vulture, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So in some way, I really stand for all that's good in the world. Glad <laughs> well, to have superheroes like you in the in the world. <laughs> what What are your thoughts on kind of the the subconscious? aspect of that and that you know almost everything you write is some variation of something you've heard before um well i think that that's i think that's fine but like i think in you know i think that that's almost inevitable but i also think like maybe a bunch of you know white kids who've never seen the sun shouldn't be stealing latin beats (laughs) and making a making a subgenre of a dubstep off of it i think that's well said you know, in the same way that I think we, you know, I think it takes spending time being drunk and dancing in nightclubs to really understand house music. <laughs> Especially the sweaty ones in Copenhagen. Perhaps some sweaty, sweaty ones in Copenhagen, but that's, that's a little, we're a little, we'll pass that at the moment, <laughs> so to speak. So why don't we go ahead and take this time, we'll dive into your next song and we'll get rolling with the, um, the rest of the EP. Okay, this song is called Antimatter in Time. Antimatter in time. 
So the second song we listened to, Antimatter, Matter and Time. I think I got that right, right? Antimatter and Time. Antimatter and Time. That's a bit of a bit of a tongue twister there. Yeah, it's a, it got me quite tongued. Got you uh, tongue tied. Got me a little tongue tisted. Tongue tisted. But so leading into this second song, I I definitely have seen the gro- your growth over time, and this this is um this is definitely very professionally done. I I enjoyed this song. It had that. I don't know if um this was a sense you were going for, but I got this idea of like a crackling campfire at one point when the music started to fade out in the middle at like around the two minute mark. And there was like this kind of twinkling bells feeling where it was like looking up at the stars. Was that kind of what you were going for with this summertime mix? Well, I think with this song, it was, you know, it was really, this one was really dealing with the way we interact with time differently. So Mm -hmm. I think anything that sort of makes you take pause and just sort of be in a different moment and acknowledge it in a different place was really at the core of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I definitely got that sense. Yeah, um, I, I I found myself in my own thoughts in a in a very very in a good way. You know, I, I, the words that came to my mind were infinite and vast. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so Pat, if you, you heard another song of mine called Antimatter Music that I released a few years back, right? Mm-hmm. I sort of saw this song as like a spiritual sequel to that, almost an up- update. I feel like, I feel like it definitely, it takes the learned elements from your recent developments and it pushes it in a, in a way that I think makes this feel like it actually kind of dwarfs it though. Like in, in the way that a sequel typically is maybe the um the kind of overproduced kind of obvious solution this seems like it's it's um it's kind of overshadowing that one cuz i actually after listening to this i don't actually remember that that first song because i mean this one just gave me a kind of a pause for for reflection and kind of it it didn't feel like a sequel it felt like it felt like the obvious approach but like obvious in the sense that you know we're kind of it's we need to kind of feel like we have a moment to reflect i don't i don't know how else to put it actually no i think that that's fair and i think i think a lot of i push the sound design of this a lot i think about us maybe and i could could have better conversation about that um because this song was frustrating for me from a sound design perspective because originally i recorded a lot of this with the uh plug-in face plant and um i really kind of hated it um, cause I couldn't, I hated faceplant cause I couldn't kind of get the sort of thickness and the fullness you're hearing out of it, mm-hmm. out of it. And I ended up switching at the last minute, a lot of the synth sounds on this EP, uh, to sounds made in a plugin called pigments, which I think is the future of synthesis, or at least the future of, you know, a VST that people use sometimes. Um, and I mean, it also kind of pulled from some obvious spaces. Like there's very obvious, like 909 from Splice. You know, there's that BBC orchestra thing that everyone has. The Glockenspiel is right from there. Um, if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you'll know I love the plugin Surge, which is also featured prominently with the uh, sub bass being done in that. No, I loved it. I, I actually want to touch on uh, that bass line. Where did that, like, that 
when I first came in, it subverted all of my expectations on where I thought a baseline would go in that track. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, you know, very, you know, it was like an arpeggiated thing that I sort of, you know, developed in um, pigments. And I used a lot of arpeggiated bases on this album because I think too often people just, you know, follow the root note and I could do that. And I've done that, but, you know, I wanted to do something that had more movement to it to sort of flow with the thing on top, you know? Yeah, I think it, I think it worked really well. Like I said, it, it, it took me by surprise where it, it would stay on the same note in certain places and then go higher when I thought it would go lower. It was very well done. I think just from a, uh, a storytelling perspective, I, I can't generally speak to, um, you know, the, the, the specific kind of uh, musical elements of it oftentimes because I'm just, I'm, I'm not as immersed in that environment as others, but right. you're, um, you're more, you're more in like sex screams. That's the genre mm-hmm. you work in, right? It's kind of, it's more, you know, organic in that nature um, because I often record organically. So, right, right. And orgasmic, know, it, from what I understand. And <laughs> it's, it's very organic, you know, in the, in the spirit of the times, very organic. Um, and so, but I, what I can speak to is the storytelling. And for me, it feels like a journey, a really interesting journey where I'm moving, I'm reflecting, and then I'm moving again quicker. And then I just sort of feel like, you know, I've achieved what it was that I was setting out to achieve. Right. So you're you like, ref- you're like moving quicker Then are you also reflecting quicker? No, I don't think I'm reflecting quicker. I think the middle, the, the the reflection that I felt was more that you know I'm kind of moving initially, and then I'm reflecting on the fact that you know of what I've just done, and then I realize that maybe I need to be more in the moment next time. I need to I need to kind of discover more. I need to kind of go out there, and I need to put myself forward. And then it starts. The beat picks up again, and it's got this new sort of heightened rhythm, and it's a new intensity. And I feel you know, faster. I need to be moving faster. And then at the end, I feel accomplished. I don't, from a, from a storytelling perspective, it was just, it felt very complete. Yeah. I think that was something I picked up. Um, I had one of my tracks that you heard actually a post-industrial waste was reviewed mm-hmm. on a, um, on someone's Twitch stream. This guy, Musar, that I think has a big influence on my work, especially as a recently, and has been really helping me as a uh, producer. And he sort of was, talking about like the the story arc of a song and how you kind of want you know your last drop to sort of be the biggest one whereas i think a lot of people are you know so hungry for clicks that they'll you know put the first drop as the biggest one but from a storytelling standpoint i don't think that i don't think that works i think it doesn't leave a whole lot to be desired right i think songs become really repetitive after the first minute and a half if your first drop is the biggest Whereas I try to write in such a way that I'm leaving the audience always wanting a, just a little bit more. Like you should always want the song to end with, I wish there was more of this song. Mm-hmm. It's like a great meal, right? Great sandwich. Like a great, like a great sandwich. You never like finish a great sandwich thinking, oh, I'm glad I finished that sandwich. You always want there to be a little bit more sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's really something I... um. I aspire toward is a little bit more sandwich always. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
So what do you say we break it down and we move into our next song? Um, I think before we break, move into the next song, I think we should talk maybe a little bit more about this one because uh, it looks like your uh, co-host has muted himself and has had to step away for a minute. Oh, um, I did not notice that. <laughs> yeah, so this song was actually one of the two progressive house songs on the EP, so I think you can hear how it, it sounds kind of like a Dead Mouse song, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you get that? That's good. It was um, very, I guess, intentional. Well, it, it, the interesting part about it was that, you know, it does sound like a Dead Mouse song, but it didn't feel, um, I guess, I guess the word I'm looking for is um, as jarring. I mean, I know that, you know, not all Dead Mouse songs are jarring, but I'm, I'm thinking of particularly songs like, um, like Strobe, where it just, it feels very, you know, intense, but it also like gets really, really loud and it kind of gives you this overwhelming quality. I didn't feel overwhelmed during this song. Yeah, well, it's a it's a nice sip. It's mm-hmm. a nice sip on the dance tea. Absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about um kind of how long it took you to produce the song and kind of your slip ups and maybe um a little bit more about just a little more into what you're thinking, like elaborate further on kind of why this song came to be a part of this album, yeah, so album this, EP. Yeah, so this song, I think, was challenging because I could never get the kick drum right. Like the kick drum gut was fixed and like that sort of last makeup week mm-hmm. that we had. Um, and I would honestly say this is my fourth favorite off the, off the EP. Fourth favorite, um, and it you know it came from just you know a very conscious desire to do a something very you know dead mouse very very lane eight was also a huge influence on the song. This was someone I got into in my you know diving into the uh, progressive house rabbit hole. Um, and my label is telling me I can accept no further questions on this song, and if they. <laughs> want to ask me more questions. If you want to ask me more questions on the song Vadish, you're allowed to, but Pat, if you do, you'll be charged $5 per question. <laughs> that might just blow the budget if we ask three questions. I think uh, I think we can we can rock on to the next song, you know? All right. Are you guys uh, ready for some warmth?
so if you don't mind me starting it off, um, why why did you want this one to be song three as opposed to say a closer? Well, I think when you listen to the closer, I think you'll understand. I think the closer really contextualizes the album in some way. Okay. Um, I think yeah, because I think the closer just does something different. In here, I wanted to be like, okay, you've gotten kind of, you've gotten in the you know kitty end of the pool, and then it's like smack oh shit you're in the deep end this guy actually kind of maybe knows what he's doing mm. um that being said this was the only song i had any help with um in terms of like actual production assistance who was your production assistant um so my, the mixing engineer on this project was actually a guy named cinder who's part of the uh, temple collective t-e-m-p-l and a future guest on my podcast edm's our oh, hypertext okay. edm obscura no doubt um, you know, I thought, you know, he really liked the song so much that when we were giving the feedback over the, you know, the weeks that we were working on these songs, it was like, let me help you with this. This is great, but you need, you need, you need assistance. And I accepted it. What was it specifically that, um, that he felt like he needed to punch in to assist you with? What was the, was there a, a portion or was it more just like a general... A general the general beat or can you elaborate was, on that it wasn't any of the beat it was the just the overall mix so it was just the way that the elements were you know the levels and you know the way that they were eq'd and processed and things like that mm. to just give everything it's everything the space it needed and it was really a genius at doing that and taking something that was you know okay or good and making it and great is maybe you know not for me to say that's for you to say but you know, I, I I would say absolutely great. I one of my notes on that track was how many layers are in that song because there's so much going on, but it blends so well um, despite all of the busyness. Right, and I think there was a lot of Ganja White Knight and Mr. Bill influence on that end of it, especially with the bass design. It was. You know, people in the server and, you know, people that we've talked to in the past, Matt, I should know, talk about, like, you know, how much they're into sound design and whatnot. And I've kind of poo-pooed it a bit. But at the same time, I kind of know how to do it. So I thought, you know, why not flex a little bit? Yeah, I thought I thought it was awesome. Now, did you did you program the hats and symbols on their panning? Yes. Yeah, that was me. That was well done panning. I, I almost didn't realize it for a while. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, there's, like, three different hi-hats and symbols going on here oh yeah i'm a huge fan of doing that i i like um to spread my high end out as much as possible especially during like a drop when you have so much like powerful low end information i'll always sort of pull my hats to the sides a bit to just let everything breathe more love it um i especially love when you have like an open hat in one ear and then the closed hat is going in the other one i just think that's fun so you called this track warmth was that uh as a feeling of the song or just because of the way it sounds it was it was kind of tongue-in-cheek um i think i write from a position of pretension and a position of irony often and so at one point this song actually had a vocal on it i don't know if i don't know if you heard that version of it Uh, i didn't get that one no sir yeah so there was originally a vocal on this but like you know, my feedback group, everyone hated the vocal. Like, why is that there? That's terrible. And 
So where you hear those like massive like Tom fills going in to the drop, I was just saying that I said the word warmth there, and that became the title of the song. Um, and it was a joke about you know how much people are obsessed with quote unquote analog warmth while using you know very digital synthesizers and making everything in the box and then using you know like an RC twenty to make things sound warm or something. And it's not that I have anything against it, but I thought, you know, any everything deserves to be mocked, myself included. I think that's a fair point. I, I, I would also say that subconsciously seeing the title before I was really hearing it, that that whole intro section, I was I was kind of sitting in front of a fireplace on a on a rainy night until the until the drop hit. There's a there's a I think there's a lot of that on on here. It's a lot of like sitting in front of a campfire in a way. And hopefully dancing around it with someone you love. Well, slow dancing or fast dancing? Oh, I think that maybe on the the songs with the higher BPM you're dancing fast, but on the slower ones maybe it's maybe it's slow dancing. I, I you like to subvert expectations over here, so I'm just I'm trying to make it straight, trying to be sure. No. I think um, what I find interesting about your musical development is that it seems to kind of track well with. Um, with your current sort of situation at the time. Um, so when I say that, I mean that, you know, some of your early work, it felt maybe um, sometimes it felt a bit rushed or sometimes it felt a bit jarring, but you were in a particular place that was um, a little bit uh, destructive or maybe you just weren't, you were having difficulties elsewhere elsewhere, and you had, a, you had an outlet right here. And then now it seems like, you're in a much better place. You're kind of, you're kind of developing this relationship in the real world, and you're kind of translating that into your music. And I'm getting that sense that, you know, I'm I'm feeling like, I'm like I'm hearing your growth. Right. I think uh, I have a sort of thing about me where I cannot, and I, it's sort of inevitably I don't hide any emotions well, and so. To your point, as my relationship with God has grown over the past, you know, years, and I've, you know, come to rediscover him um, and, you know, found sort of emotional stability in, you know, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I think. Um, so, too, as my music sort of evolved in a way that's much more controlled and much more, you know, well thought out and, you know, very consistent in it, the way it tells a story, much like the Bible. You broke so hard, dude. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I was really trying so hard. Hope I didn't offend you, Vatus, with that. No, no, you're all good, bro. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Uh, so we've lost our host. Doing okay there, Pat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm reeling back. I'm reeling back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So, <laughs> would you say that um, your music pulls that religion into here, or do, would you say that there's still a separation of Kyle Santilli, the spirit, well, not Kyle Santilli, uh, Hypotech, the spiritual, versus Hypotech, the musician? Is there, are they one and the same? I would say they're vastly different. All my songs are about sex. I mean, I don't think you can you can denounce sex though as not being spiritual. It's obviously spiritual. Well, yeah. our 
are, are your songs about sex as an outlet that you can't express otherwise? No, I think I think it's more just you pull from what you know, you know, you pull in your music from what happens in your life. Your creativity has to come from somewhere. So if all my songs are about sex, then maybe something is going on in my life that's inspiring that. Well, you're either having a lot of it or you really want to have it. It's one of the two. Well, I, but well, I think it's pretty clear which one of those because it doesn't sound like it's hungry for those emotions. It's it's celebrating those emotions. <laughs> it's not a lust for sexuality. It's an ex, it's an open expression for sexuality. It is a woman in Central Park taking off her shirt and yelling "Free the nipple." I think that's what that's what these songs do. I think that's what the song does. Is that where the warmth comes from? No, I think the warmth just you know comes from. I think the warmth comes from all the you know the saturation knob plugins I used on the, the song. So I'm curious because I'm I'm getting the sense from these songs, it feels um, it feels more like it would plug in better as a fall album. Well, I don't I don't I think I'm more of a fall guy. Like I think I always wish it was fall. I think that's that's my favorite season, for example. Um, it has all my favorite holidays. Um, you know, Veterans Day, for example, is in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, as is Halloween. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think I went on like a I went on like a camping trip in the middle of this. Maybe that's what you're hearing. I think that's exactly what I'm hearing because it it definitely has, like, I can see myself listening to this in the fall and feeling perfectly contextualized you know like it's cold outside i'm kind of sitting indoors i'm kind of vibing you know doing my podcast in my sex shop right right. and you know i just it feels it feels where i'm supposed to be at the time you know like inside here and inside someone you know right well we all know what happens during you know the pat sandwich's super sex shop spectacular it's a showdown I, I would even say validation to that statement. Uh, it has been raining where I'm at since about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and, and these songs are blending right in with that atmosphere. Yeah. No, I think I have a rainy vibe. So just And I think I have a very hard time escaping myself in music. I think if I was one to use music as escapism, I would fail miserably. It's more, I think, a confrontation of the confrontation and a confirmation of the self. Touche. Pat, shall we move on to the next song? I think it's time. I think it's the time we have.
Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna just go ahead and jump off right right from the bat. So my first impression of the song before the beat started to break down a little more was um, "Bittersweet Symphony" meets Daft Punk. I know that that's kind of a "Bittersweet Symphony" is kind of an old reference, but I don't know something about that first the first bit of it just it felt like that. Was that was that kind of present, or is that was that completely unintentional? I would say that was. Com- not only completely unintentional, I would say Path, that was completely undesired. I think we went over the list of the top 10 songs I hate <laughs> at the beginning of this, and the Bittersweet Symphony was, would have made that top 10 if there weren't so many songs written by the band 311. <laughs> I know. For me to list. I am a, um, I'm a hater of Bittersweet <laughs> Symphony. I don't think that's a good song. I think it's corny, and I don't think it... You know, it's, a, it's very overplayed. It's not even that overplayed. It's just, it's not that good. I don't like it. It doesn't do anything for it's, me. It's, it's, it's not. so repetitive. It's just so it's repetitive. repetitive. It's really... It's like, let's take something... Let's take a... Let's take, like, the seed of a good idea. Like, something that could one day grow into a good idea and just spread those... Spread it around. It's like if Johnny Appleseed had just thrown a bunch of seeds at the ground and they never grew anything into anything. And he's like, hey, look... There's a bunch of seeds now. But no trees. I had in the intro kind of a sense of mortality before the drop hit. Was that was that that's, intentional? That's, that's more. That's more on brand. <laughs> that's more on brand. I think, especially at the end of the song, I feel like, I like the end of the song because it sort of feels like the rug is being like pulled out underneath you. And you've sort of just fallen on your back. I will be truthful. I was trying to take a quick dig at you. <laughs> I will be truthful, Pat. I don't care. You know, I'm here to, you know, promote my product. And if you want to take digs at me, that's fine. You know, I know you have, you know, an incredible reach with your podcast. And, you know, you talk to so many people, you talk to so many celebrities. And I thought this was a good opportunity to do that. Absolutely. But can we talk to us about the song? Yeah. I'd- I feel like back to that sense of mortality, particularly in the the intro and the outro um, for me as a producer and musician, I feel like that was achieved by, was was that a, was that a half step or a full step uh, resolution in the last two chords? I think it might've gone from a minor two to a major one. Cause I do, I like a two to one resolution. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was well done. It was, it was kind of suspended and then it, hit that resolution on the fourth chord and it was like yeah that's that's where i wanted that to go it, it hit all that all those right spots you yeah know? well i think this song was actually weirdly this was inspired a lot by you Vadis. i think oh well, f- well think thank this, you this felt like something you this felt like something you would do particularly in the intros and the way i'm using the orchestral samples i i can only take that as the highest praise i appreciate it yeah, yeah. well because i was apprehensive about using them and i think it's tough to make orchestral samples work when you're dealing with things with this high level of, you know, saturation and compression. And I found that just by like blending an orchestral sample with like a very basic synth sound that sort of sounded close enough to it, you could make something that like sort of worked for me, I guess, out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're right. Blending, blending those orchestral sounds is, can definitely be a challenge. Um, I, I, I give you praise in the fact that you pulled it off very well. Yeah. So I just, I repeated the same part. Um, I've basically used the, orchestral elements as color on top of like another sound and just layered it and stuff i guess yeah kind of gave it gave it more of the top end and then took the the low and the mids with a synth 
Exactly. That's exactly it. So let's let's talk about that that drop. What was the influence for that? Um, well, so I think it, that was again about the Bible because I think that the Bible is intentionally not a truthful story, but instead just a series of allegories meant to you know sort of tell us how to live our lives and you know reinforce you know the slave slave mentality in people and sort of you know give meaning to that as you know just allegories and not the truth. Um, you know, so it's okay if it has holes in it. Um, and I think in the same way that this drop was kind of trying to do something like that, maybe. Does that make sense? Pat, what do you think about that? Um, I, I, I honestly think that um, it kind of, in in the way of the, the the slave mentality that you're referring to, I think that the voice of the, uh, the symphony was suppressed starting off. And I, I think... In the end, everyone is a slave to the rhythm, and I think the song really speaks to that and sort of the core of what dance music is about. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like I could have used some more of those, of that initial, like just just that initial, you know, symphony and orchestra, just kind of building with the beat too. I think I could have used a little more of that. Not not so much that it overtakes. I did like how the beat kicked in, and I was there. I was in the moment. You were but there. I kind of missed some of that. You were there. Hmm? Were you there? You were. Th- were you there? I'm asking you. Was I there? I was there. Go on. That j- that joke doesn't make any sense. I was so confused. What do you mean there? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> I mean nothing. That's so confused. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Uh, he completely threw off my groove. Where am I at now? Um, I was, I, I got a big eighty cents from the drop. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a lot of that, and like the way, like that, like uh, the horn stabs come in, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, for me, I got, I got a lot of uh, uh, "Night Call" by Kavinsky. If if anybody knows that song, I got a lot of those vibes. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. What did my label send me to talk, talk about that with a song? Um, yeah, no, I've already talked about everything that they asked me to. This one was probably the most Lane 8 influenced, I think, more than anything. I, I do want to ask, uh, how did you program the arpeggiator in that? I mean, uh, what was your process on that? Um, I messed with the gate and the velocity on the arpeggiator a lot to give it like syncopation and give it like a more organic feel. And I think that that's not something people do enough. No, I would I would totally agree. So that was just so that was chords with an arpeggiator on it, correct? Yeah, that was just straight chords, and then I'm just manipulating the velocity and the gate to give it that sort of whatever the opposite of syncopation is, where it focuses on the downbeat. Right, right. That was cool. It, it gave it a good vibe. I was uh, I was riding shotgun with Ryan Gosling. So nice. I actually saw a uh, movie starring Ryan Gosling the other day. He uh, was fucking a uh, he was fucking a doll. If you believe it. I have seen that one. What what was the title of that? Uh, Ryan Gosling fucks it all the movie. Oh, I I didn't get that movie. You must have got that off the internet. I get all my movies off the internet. That's the way technology works. The wrong part of the internet. No, I um I've been using this uh streaming service. It's called Tubi, spelled T U B I, and it has just all of the worst movies on it that you could ever imagine, and they have ad breaks, but you it's completely free. And so what I've been doing over the weekend is just sitting around doing nothing and just watching some of the worst movies potentially ever made. Well, what did you think about Ryan Gosling fucks a doll? 
Um, I think it wasn't as good as the movie Highway to Havasu I saw, which did not have a great plot, but had some very good boobs in it. Boobs are plot. Yes, and 2B, mov- 2B movies have a lot of plot in them in that sense. I also found the movie Stoner Express to be a sort of ham-fisted attempt to make the movie Potfest, which was teased in the famous movie Beerfest, but with just some brilliant, brilliant boobs and, you know, just a very attractive woman, I guess. Lots, lots and lots of plot. In that no, movie, it isn't right? a lot of plot. It was just one strikingly gorgeous woman. I can't hate on that. Mm-hmm. Pat, what's your thoughts? Well, I have not seen that film, so I don't have a particular opinion on that, actually. <laughs> You've never seen the film Highway to Havasu? No. I've never even heard of it. Don't. It's, it's, it's a non-movie. It's garbage. <laughs> Highway to Havasu. Yeah, it's a, it's a lake. Pat, have you ever been to Lake Havasu? Uh, no, sir. It's just it's in more in your neck of the woods than mine. And, you know, Pat lives in Europe, so obviously he doesn't know about Lake Havasu. I I have been to Texoma and Dallas, and then there's one out in like Rowlett, but I have not been to Havasu. Well, cool. Do you guys have any more questions about this song? Uh, I th- I think we're good. I mean, we're we're out of we're out of label questions, and I I'm already asking you more than your label said you could talk about. Well, no, so. they did say I, that was what I was required to talk about. It's just those were the talking points I had to hit. You know, in any sort of in every interview is constructed. In, in some ways, you're, you have talking points you're trying to hit, and everything else that happens around it is the magic. I am out of magic for this song. Got any more magic, Pat? The magic is definitely moving to the next song. All right, so I'm going to do something a little different for these. Um, for the next two songs, we're going to listen to them back-to-back, and then we're going to discuss them, because they're kind of a part one and a part two in some way. Hmm. Oh, intriguing. So let's, 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 um, let's listen to those two.
So, with Hourglass, what was what was the intent behind that song? Um, kind of filling the space between the time we have and then sauna air because it 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 was it was kind of how do i put it oh give it to me. i don't know if i so it's me harsh okay i'm wondering why it's even why it even existed because i kind of forgot about it i think that's the idea i think the idea is that it sort of serves as a palate cleanser you know what i mean okay Mm -hmm. Yeah, almost like having like you know lettuce between dishes or something to kind of all right. It, to, so you're you're ready for the chocolate. It's like it's like, you know, it's like or, the ginger of the album, and that's it's yeah. to like the uh, the spice and not the you know people. Yeah. So then, if that's the palate cleanser, then in your song "Sauna Air," why did you take? Uh, why did you want to do three minutes to build up to the the drop? Was that um was that kind of to be subversive to typical drops or was it more of like you know baiting until the end or what was your kind of intent there? That song was very inspired by um, a song called "Dance Yourself Clean." It's one of my favorite songs. It's by the band LCD mm -hmm. Sound System. So these two songs were an attempt to mash that song together with the song "Snow Cone" by Dead Mouse, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so in that song the verse is very quiet and then it just, it takes forever. It takes actually longer in that song to build to it. But when it crashes down, it sort of slams in your face. Right. Um, to speak to that a bit more, I think um, it was sort of trying to contextualize that idea within like an EDM sound almost. And you deliberately did it with, uh, without lyrics to kind of solidify it in an EDM standpoint, or were you, did did you initially have lyrics for this song, or was it always going to be lyrics? It was always, always going to be. I think around the third or fourth song, okay. I sort of decided that I thought it would be a lot better to make a release that had zero lyrics whatsoever. So there's none on this entire EP, as you may have noticed. Mm -hmm. And I kind of liked the idea of making the audience earn that drop. You know what I mean? Like, so after listening to Hourglass, essentially after listening to like you know four four minutes, five minutes of you know sort of quiet intentionally quiet ambience to then be smacked in the face with like something like big and like gratifying it's sort of like it's it's a lot of time for a time of like instant gratification like waiting almost five minutes for you know something to to hit it's it's interesting actually oh i think yeah no i think a lot of the other songs are a lot more instantly gratifying and i thought it might be i thought it would be Mm -hmm. very interesting to like after people have sort of come to expect that to subvert that but also at the same time subvert it in a way where it's like they're with me for the ride at that point because you know they've already listened to four songs if they like them you know they're willing to hear me out and let me you know yeah yeah they wouldn't have given you a chance if you did this at the start exactly, they probably wouldn't even listen to the album why i couldn't have the, done it yeah. at the beginning i had to you know put you know three bangers if you will forward for people to be like okay let's mm -hmm. let's see well let's see where he's going with us you know and it, it didn't disappoint yeah. didn't disappoint um 
a few points about the song. I think it's like it's the most it's probably my, one my favorite song I've ever written, and two like the most complex thing I've ever written by like a mile. There's so many layers to this thing. Yes, and sauna air. Sauna there's, air. So, there's so many percussion layers in it. I, they turned out quite well, um, and I, I love the uh, the velocity and pitch change on the fills in the hourglass as well. Um, yeah, that was I had uh, had a lot of fun with that one too because that one was written afterwards, so it was a lot of like trying to get something to um, fill the space in the right way, so you can hear like some of the melodies and stuff are borrowed, but some of some of them are also kind of new. I, I also noticed in in the hourglass, I had kind of a lo-fi feel to it. Was that intentional? Yeah. Well, so I'm intentionally. Res- there's a lot of intentional restraint going on with that song. Like, for example, like I'm intentionally everything is in mono, right? And everything is very quiet. It's mixed to. It's mixed much quieter than the rest of the album. Yeah, I think I think the the vibe that I got uh was it, it sounded like pink floyd if they emerged in 2018 as a lo-fi artist right absolutely what's interesting i didn't get pink floyd from it but i like i like that i think that works I, I think it was more it was in the kind of the chord structure and it might just be my brain i've been listening to some pink floyd here recently and i was like you know that's there's some similar chords in there right so yeah, i forget I don't think this one of the songs I actually did right on guitar. I wrote out the chord structure, but I don't think it was this one. I think it might have been the time we have. I wrote that actually on guitar, the chords, which might have been where that suspended feel came from on that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's let's talk about how you approach the. Uh, I mean, I know it was intentional, but the dynamic changes in Sauna Air. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I sort of thought about it like this and, um, you know, like with LCD sound system, you know, and the song Dance Yourself Clean, James Murphy had the benefit of like having these really huge sounding analog basses. Um, and I wanted to do something like that in making something like with that kind of impact was like so just challenging. I think I spent more time on that bass sound than I did on most of the sound design across the other songs. And at least I agonized over it or more um it's just it's a ton of layers it's a ton of ott it's you know all the gratuitous edm bullshit we do right how many how many layers i mean if you remember it off the top of your head but like how many layers was that main synth in the drop uh that's four, that's four layers there that's pretty good pretty decent and and you may not know this but you said there was a, a shit ton of progression layer um percussion layers Yep. Uh, do you remember how many layers throughout the whole track there were? Um, at least seventy. Whew, yeah, that's that's a pretty heavy number. Yeah, there was just there was just so much of just like little sounds that just came in and out. Right. Now, I mean, did you group the percussion and the uh, main sense, you know, together? Were those a group so that you could kind of deal with them a little better or was everything all just each track was balanced as one um i had at the end i did go through and balance every single track in there individually that must have been excruciating and took a long time it 
I I neglected my relationship more than I care to admit during that last week there. <laughs> you have to say a few Hail Marys, won't you? Yes, my relationship with God, that's what we're talking about. Sorry. No, of of course. That always comes first. Yes. And and my sexual relationship also true. Is that with God as well? Also, yes. <laughs> just just trying to make sure. Pat, you were saying? Um I what do you mean what I was saying? You were, you were laughing. It sounded like you had something you wanted to say. No, no. I was just chiming in. But do you want like do you as an interviewer have any more questions for me? I mean we have we've only done an hour and a half. You know, we could do two hours if we wanted to. You know? I don't know if I do have any more questions. I mean, because I, I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, let's see. So we were talking about this, this song being your closer versus um, the song Warmth, right? Or was it Antimatter in Time? I think Antimatter in Time could have also been the closer. I think that would have made sense as well. Mm-hmm. Or actually no originally it was going to be bawadi sunsets because of the way that it ends on that like those two snaps i don't i don't know bawadi sunsets doesn't feel like an ender to me it feels like a great start actually i think it's exactly where it needs to be it kind of pulls me in yeah i would i i would second uh pat sandwich for that one but here's the thing is that's why i would make it as the closure because i like the way it just ends like it's just like it's so sudden in the way it ends compared to everything else which is the in contrast to that, that's feels like something I would do. But then it seems like if you were going to do something like that, maybe you just make that as the end of Sonic Air then. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think that it could. Because, because of, Sorry. What are you saying? Because of the way that Sonic Air sort of flows, it kind of made sense to just like let the ending end with this drum machine that's just, you know, pitch shifted down and falls into, falls into nothingness. Mm-hmm. I think you also achieved that subversion you were after, like we were talking about with having those two songs back to back and having four minutes of, of lower dynamics. And then all of a sudden this massively loud forte drop. Right. And I think also on people skip interludes on repeated listens regardless. And I think that this is like a very skippable interlude. And I kind of like that. I want to talk about how you feel about the album. I mean, how did how did this uh, how do you feel like you grew as a producer and and a music writer and uh how was it facing the challenge of, you know, putting out an EP within a time limit? Yeah, Pat, how was that challenge? How did you respond to that? Me producing an album? Yeah, how did you respond to the challenge of producing an album and releasing it in such a short time frame? Well, I guess I just sort of sat here and critiqued somebody else's work. <laughs> Well, I think it was very stressful. I think um, I realized what I was capable of if I just neglected every other aspect of my life. You know, if you neglect, you know, every other aspect of your life enough and just sort of put your focus singularly on one thing, you know, that you're passionate about, I think you can achieve great things in this world. Well, to elaborate on that, actually, that point that you just made there, do you think that the follow-up album to this wouldn't be as warm you would say because maybe it put a stressor on you and then now the next album is going to be more you know solemn dark kind of brooding you know maybe in a different place or do you think that there's going to be a period of time where you kind of get back into the point where you feel 
stable again, and then you put yourself through the grind in order to kind of continue that flux for a creative standpoint. Oh, I think from a creative standpoint, we benefit from like lengthy periods of exploration followed by very intense periods of focus. I think that's how you, but most, most of the best artists. Much produced. in the way that a sauna works, right? No, saunas are just constant. So you, you pop into and a sauna and then I you just... jump out into the hat. <laughs> Are you kidding me? We talked about this. We're not, you're not supposed to bring up saunas during the podcast. My label sent over the thing that said, Hypotech is very upset because he can go back to his gym, but he can't go back into the sauna at the gym because of COVID, and you cannot discuss saunas with him. That was in writing. Apologies. That was written in blood. I wrote it in my own blood, and then I paid someone to send you it via text message, an image, a picture. Now, 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 does does that upset? You know, is that is that what influenced writing sauna air? No, I just that was more of a vibe. That song is like stepping into and out of a sauna. I think. So you don't think subconsciously that you're, you know, being upset that you you can't go into something we can't talk about might not have influenced how you were feeling in writing that song? I mean, I think I think there was a lot, a lot of longing for, you know, the world to be in a different place than it is that influenced all of the record, really. And I think that this song was no different. So perhaps, maybe, yeah. Well, touche. I'll take that. Let's, uh, let's talk about what you what you learned. I mean, did you... You've bounced around a couple different uh, VSTs with this, and uh, as you've mentioned, so you know how was how was the learning experience in cranking all these songs out? Oh man, I learned I learned so much doing this. Like I learned so much about mixing, you know, especially like I think um, I learned how to use a loudness meter, learned how to measure luffs. You know about Luffs Vadis? Oh, I, I do. That's that's pretty awesome. What's uh, what loudness meter are you using I to measure Luffs? I'm using Metric AB, which allows you to AB against songs very easily. It's a great plugin. I got it on dis- a discount, like forty dollars. Okay, that's that's pretty awesome. I love the fact that you are measuring to Luffs. There's a lot out there that. Uh, doesn't and including myself, I don't measure to luffs yet either. Um, but it definitely is a good standard to measure by. Yeah, good learning experience. I love that. Yeah. So all of these songs are like measuring. Some of these songs might be a little bit over compressed because I'm you know mix them to be competitive with the songs that they were inspired by. Right. So this song, when the bass drops, it's actually 0.3 luffs louder than the drop in "Dance Yourself Clean." How much uh, how much compression in the end did you have to put on it to get it up to that? Um, that was where the three OTTs on one of the bass sounds came. What did you said three OTTs on one track? Yeah, there is none on any of the other bass sounds. On the main bass sound, there are three OTTs. <laughs> That's an absurd amount of OTT on one track. There was also, I think, OTT on the on the bus for that one, and uh, an LA two A on that one as well. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's 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 quite a bit of work for one individual track of a song. You know, I like sounds. I like to you know make these like perfect little sounds. 
I'd say you did quite well with this EP on making sounds. Thank you. I think that was that, that was that was that was the goal. It's often the goal in writing music. I think because you know ultimately, I think we all want to just be heard, right? Of course, I think that's that's why we all get into making music to begin with. Right, it's to you know be heard to satiate the thing inside of us. It's like, hey, you know, I'm important. Look at me now. Well, even even if it's not a, a be heard uh, in a public domain, I think a lot of us start making music to let our emotions be heard. Right. And, you know, some of us make music because it's like, you know, you have like, you know, friends from college you haven't you know connected with in a while. And you're like, hey, come, you know, talk about this music with me. Come like and engage in my life again because I miss you engaging with my life. And, you know, sometimes that music is a vehicle to allow that. I'm feeling jabs here. Well, no, that's just, that's just, that's that's just what just music life. does. I think a lot of people, I think that's, that's a lot of people, way a lot of people write a lot of music. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very common experience. I'm, I'm very, I'm very relatable. I'm an everyman. I, I pride myself <laughs> on being an everyman, being universally relatable. I, I, I'd say it's common enough that it's at least two thirds of this chat room right now. <laughs> it's at least two thirds of this chat room are in, you know, enjoying this music as an opportunity to connect. And it's you and me, Mattis. Of course, it's been it's been over a week. Yeah, you I know? didn't record last week because I was too busy finishing up this thing. I know, I know. I, was too busy I, adding, I missed you. I, it's, I was too it busy had adding been, those OTTs. It it had been too long, man. It had been too long. It had been too long. I, I changed the kick drum on like half those songs that week. Man, I... I, I yeah, no, you, 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 had, you had sent me a, a couple of them. And we, we talked about some of the drums. And I, I noticed you didn't do all the changes, but I noticed you did some of them, which was very nice. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's, you know, you have to, you know, you, you take a little, you give a little. I, you got to take everything I say with a grain of salt. You know, I, I could be intentionally misleading you well i think a lot of producers do and i think a lot of producers do it in a very clever way where they themselves don't know that they know don't know what they're talking about so by voicing an opinion that's inherently wrong they are misleading people without realizing it which i think is truly deceptive oh it's ignorance is bliss you know yeah and i think you know it's also it's also everywhere it's it's every it's it's the air the air is ignorance <laughs> 